Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about communicating your trauma-related needs, mental health issues, or neurodivergent quirks to your partner. I am Autumn, the older sister, and my fact of the day is that it has actually taken me a very long time to learn how to communicate my needs. If you listen to this podcast, you know I do have a fairly significant trauma history from my childhood, and part of what resulted from that was that I felt that in all honesty, I should not even have needs, that whoever I was with, whatever they wanted was more important than whatever I actually needed. This meant that I tried to bury my needs very deep and I never communicated them to my partner. This ended up causing a lot of pain to me, a lot of pain to my partner, and absolutely destroying my relationships. You know, I would venture to guess that that is a very common pattern for people with trauma, especially childhood trauma. That's something I've definitely struggled with as well in my early relationships. I would just bottle everything up inside because I didn't want conflict. I didn't want confrontation. And I also felt like my needs didn't matter. And so I would just keep everything inside until the pressure built up. And then I exploded. And then at that point, I was like, I'm done. I don't even want to be in this relationship anymore. So a lot of my early relationships were relatively short because I never expressed any concerns or needs that I had. And then I would just get resentful. And eventually all my feelings towards that person would just die in a puddle of resentment and I would break up with them. I would not advise that, by the way. It's not a great way to handle relationships and communication. I am Ivy, the younger sister, by the way. And my fact of the day is that when I first started learning about communication in therapy and from reading books, mostly what I took away from it was words, lots and lots of words. You need to get very good at verbalizing. And these are the right words to use. These are the wrong words to use. Communication is all about words. And in my current relationship, I basically had to unlearn three quarters of what I learned about communication because my current partner is mostly nonverbal about difficult emotions and and things along those lines. So because a lot of his communication style is very nonverbal, I had to relearn what healthy communication looks like in a relationship. And I'm actually glad that I had to because being with him has taught me so much more about what communication actually is in the real world. And it's forced me to recognize that not everything goes by the book. In real life, things are very different and they come in varying shades of gray and it's not all black and white. I would say that this is a really common occurrence for those of us that have that trauma history, or even those of us that are just neurodivergent, is that we do have those struggles with communications and verbalizing our needs and getting our needs understood by others. And many of us, we do learn so much and we study so much and we go to so many therapy sessions and we learn all these really great tools that work well in the lab or that work well in the therapist's office, but they don't always work down in the trenches. And so for so many of us, it takes a really long time for us to find that balance between not communicating at all and communicating too perfectly that we're not understood to actually being able to talk with our partners about real life vulnerable subjects. And this episode actually came from a question that was given to us by one of our listeners. Last year, we put out there, what would you like to hear on the Different Functional Podcast? And one of our listeners responded by saying, they'd like to know, what do you need your partner to know, say or do when the trauma starts taking a hold of everyday functioning. And 
That's an excellent question that a lot of our partners have because our partners do love us and they do want to help us. But when we're not able to communicate these needs or we're not able to communicate these needs in a way our partner understands, that person's left in the dark. They don't know how to help us. They don't know what to do and they want desperately to help. Unfortunately, Ivy and I can't tell you what your partner needs or wants in those situations because that is different for everybody. It depends on the trigger. It depends on the person. It depends on the relationship. It depends on the situation. So we can't answer that question. But what we can speak to, which is what this episode is about today, is how to communicate your needs to your partner, whatever those needs might be for you. Because when you're not able to communicate, it ends up hurting your partner, it ends up hurting you, and it ends up hurting the relationship. All right, so let's jump right in and let's ask this question first. What is communication? Actually, what is it? Because if you don't know what communication is, if you don't understand what communication is, that's going to be a real big obstacle in learning how to communicate with your partner. So first and foremost, just at a very basic level, communication is an attempt to convey meaning and understanding from one person to another person. A lot of the things that we've been taught about communication is word heavy how to say things, how to phrase things, using I messages, being very intentional with the words that you choose. It's all very verbal. And while things are starting to shift, a lot of communication that is taught is still very much about verbalizing how you're feeling. But depending on what study you look at, actually 50 to 90% of communication is non So we're talking about things like posture and tone of voice. So while it's important to listen to words and to use your words intentionally, you also really need to observe yourself and observe your partner. What is your posture? What's your body language telling them? What is your tone of voice that you're using? Are you even really aware of the intensity of emotion that you're feeling at that moment? Because it's not all about words. A lot of that communication is nonverbal. So learning to to observe yourself in these moments of communication and learning to observe your partner can actually tell you so much more than just words can say. Now, being good at communication does not necessarily fix everything though. And that is one point that we wanna make very clear. You and your partner can be amazing communicators. You could have learned so much about communication as individuals and been working on a communication together as a couple, but you're still two individual people who are trying to build a life together. And because you're two individual people, you're coming at things from different perspectives. Your brains are going to operate in different ways. You're going to have different backgrounds. You're going to have different ideas about the world. And so eventually, no matter how great you are at communication, you will come to an impasse. And when that happens, it's important to remember that communication does not automatically mean that you are going to get exactly what you want. A big part of communication is actually figuring out a way to meet in the middle, to balance the give and take, to be able to find ways to compromise. Communication is not just a way to get what you want. 
communication is a way to make sure that you and your partner are on the same page and you're finding ways to build that life together so that both of you are as fulfilled and happy as possible. As Ivy said, when you go into a relationship, as similar as two people may be, they are very, very different and they do have those different backgrounds. And I want to make a little note here, a little tiny detour before we get too far in the episode to address specifically those neurodivergent people in our audience, because I feel like there are a lot of us. And when you are neurodivergent, you are often very different than the other people around you. And this causes a lot of communication issues. And I'm not advocating to say you need to learn to communicate appropriately or as a societally expected. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying we do need to be aware of those differences. As Ivy said, when there are two people in a relationship, even though they appear very similar, they can be very, very different. And this can be very much the case for any of you out there who are neurodivergent. And I'm not just talking on the autism spectrum or ADHD. But also those newer forms of mental health wiring that we are considering to be neurodivergent, such as bipolar or PTSD. When you are neurodivergent, you communicate differently. You may respond differently than other people do, such as inappropriate laughter or not being able to maintain eye contact. You may also not understand large chunks of communication, the innuendos, the body language, the facial expressions, the unstated messages. When I read that statistic about communication, being 50 to 90% nonverbal, it frustrates me sometimes because that's what I don't hear. You give me the words, I hear your words and I can interpret those with ease. But so many times in the society around us, people give these unspoken messages and these hints of ideas that I am not able to receive. And so it frustrates me because I can't communicate in that way. And it limits me both in talking to other people and in receiving messages from other people. Also, people with neurodivergency may respond to situations in very different ways. They may interpret the importance of situations in very different ways. So an example of this from my own life is that I was recently in a very bad car accident. And to me, it was terrifying. It it was just very scary. It was very overwhelming. It was very emotional for me. It was very traumatic. And when I called Calvin to come and pick me up from the site of the accident, when he arrived, he was not emotional at all. He had very flat affect. He just started taking care of practical things. He didn't even really check on me and ask if I was okay until after we had left the scene of the accident. And initially, I was a little bit hurt by that because I was like, does he even care? But then I have to remember, even though Calvin and I both have PTSD, his comes from being in combat. And so the things that he saw in Iraq are going to greatly change the way he views a lot of things. So to me, that car accident looked scary and it was scary and it looked really bad. But for somebody like Calvin, who has seen some really crazy things in war zones, he's not going to look at that in the same way that I do. So he stayed very calm. Part of it is because that car accident doesn't look as scary to him as some of the things that he saw in war, but also he was trained to stay calm in moments of crisis. So he did come in and just start taking care of practical things so that I didn't have to. And then after the fact, he checked on me and made sure that I was okay. So because of his PTSD and because of his training and how he is wired, He interpreted the importance of that situation differently, and he reacted to that situation in a very calm and practical way. And also, when it comes to neurodivergency and communication, another really important thing 
is to learn your communication style, your proclivities in communication, your strengths, your weaknesses. And the reason why that's important is because one, if you are neurodivergent, you are probably going to communicate in ways that are not textbook, that don't fit into neat, tidy little boxes. Even if you've learned how to communicate in those ways, you're still probably going to do things a little bit different. And so knowing how you communicate and knowing all your little quirks and eccentricities It helps you to know yourself, but it also allows you to educate your partner about the ways that you communicate. For instance, Autumn mentioned earlier, some people have difficulty keeping eye contact. When Calvin and I have a very difficult conversation, he struggles to maintain eye contact with me. And in a lot of things that I learned about communication from textbooks, that was like a sign of deceit and maybe they're lying to you. That's not what it means with Calvin. He just has a difficult time making eye contact when we're having hard conversations. And Autumn also mentioned earlier, inappropriate laughter. My response to stress is often laughter. And that does happen at inappropriate times. And that may be construed by other people as me not caring or me not taking things seriously. And that's not what it is at all. It's just nervous laughter. But because I know those things about myself and because I know those things about Calvin, I can remove those things from the equation as something potentially problematic because it's not in our situation. So knowing how you communicate and being able to educate your partner about that is very helpful in avoiding miscommunications. And this isn't to say that you have to change how you communicate or you have to change your style or the language you speak, but it is to say you will need to compromise within a relationship and that involves even the communication style. If you both maintain rigidity about how you even talk to one another, you're going to fall off both ends of the teeter-totter and there's not going to be a relationship even more. So a very important part of this communication piece, I would say for any relationship, but especially for those of us that are neurodivergent, because we have been redirected so often by society and told we were wrong so often is to be able to have a safe enough relationship and enough trust in your partner that you can be open to being redirected and that you can be open to redirecting them when the communication is getting askew or when the needs aren't quite being met or understood. A great example of this is, like I said, I I am autistic. I don't always pick up on those unstated messages and I'm also a fixer. So when Jake comes to me and he has an issue at work, my first and automatic response is, okay, what can we do about this? How do we fix it? What's the plan we can put in place? What behaviors can be altered by you? What behaviors can we alter in the workplace? And a lot of times he has to stop me and say, honey, I love you. I get what you're trying to do, but that's not what I need right now. And initially that felt very rejecting for me, but then I realized, okay, he's not rejecting me. He's just asking me to move with him to find that compromise so that both of our needs can get met in this instance. And so it is vital that we learn to to compromise in our communication. Whether you're neurodivergent or neurotypical, compromise is just going to be vital in that relationship and that piece of communication. Moving forward from that, it is also crucial to know yourself. This episode, we're talking all about communicating your needs to your partner. If you do not know what your needs are, you are not going to be able to communicate them. You need to be self-aware. You need to know what your base issues are. Like I said, I have a trauma background. I'm autistic. I'm also a very controlling person. I'm overly concerned about safety and routine. These are all base issues that I've come to understand about myself as I've grown. It's also important to know your triggers. And I'm not just talking trauma triggers here, though it is very, very important to know those trauma triggers, just not just for the relationship, but for you as well. But it's also important to know your mental health triggers, things such as if 
you get sensory overload in certain environments or if a break in routine will mess up your mental health for the day. Those kind of triggers are going to affect you and those may create needs that you need to communicate to someone else. Knowing your relationship triggers can also be beneficial. When two people are together, they're coming from two different backgrounds and they're bringing in all of their previous baggage, not just from their family and their life, but their previous relationship. And so they may be playing out stories that aren't even happening in this relationship without realizing it. So you want to deep dive into what your relationship triggers are as well. It can also be very helpful to know your personal cycles. When most people think about cycles, they think about menstrual cycles. And yes, for women, that can have a huge impact on your mood. But periods are not the only type of cycle. Everybody has cycles. Maybe you struggle with seasonal depression. That's a cycle. You know every year during winter, you're going to be a little bit down. There may be certain times of the year that tend to be more stressful for you with work. That's going to cause some issues for you. That is a natural cycle that you have. And for people like me who have like bipolar disorder, I have cycles associated with that as well. So I have to take all of those things into consideration, not only for my day-to-day function, but also for my relationship. And I have to keep those things in mind when I'm communicating with my partner. I have spent a ton of time over the years tracking my cycles, tracking my mood from day to day, figuring out what things trigger me, including dietary things that trigger me. There are so many things that can influence your natural cycles. And the more you know yourself, the better you can communicate to your partner and the more able you are to give them a heads up. This is something that I always do with Calvin. Since I know myself really well, I always try to give him a heads up when I know I'm going to be having a harder time. And he's getting used to my cycles too. He knows the week before my period, I'm going to be more worried. I'm probably going to be more emotional. I'm going to be more irritable. He knows this about me now and he's better at working with me when I'm feeling that way than he used to be because before, sometimes during the month, I would be totally even keel, almost monotone, nothing affected me. I was totally fine, could roll with anything. And then to him, it would seem like out of nowhere, I was just bitchy and paranoid. And of course, he's he's going to have a hard time with that. But now he's used to my cycles. And I always try to give him a heads up that, hey, I can feel it coming. I know I'm going to be having a little bit of a hard time. Or even with my dietary things with my bipolar, there are certain foods that really trigger me. Gluten and dairy. Those are two that really trigger me. And Calvin loves pizza. But every time he wants us to have pizza for dinner, I always give him that heads up. You know, I'm probably going to be a little crazy for the next couple of days if I have gluten and dairy. And it's almost like informed consent. And it's kind of a joke between us now that he knows the trade-off for having pizza is me being a little bit wonky for a couple of days. But our communication has become so good about it and his understanding of my natural cycles and my understanding of his cycles too, because I've been observing him, has gotten so good over time that we can roll with each other a lot better and we avoid a lot of the miscommunications that we used to have, which allows us to avoid a lot of unnecessary issues in our relationship. And that goes straight into another piece of of being able to communicate your needs in a relationship is learning about your partner. You know all about your base issues, triggers, and cycles, but what are their base issues, triggers, and cycles? Because those are going to interplay with yours, they're going to interplay with your life, and they're going to interplay with how you communicate and what needs you have and what needs they have. It's also good to know how they're actually capable of supporting you. All of us have our own issues. Whether you've got an official diagnosis or not, all of us have our own issues. And sometimes our partners may not be able to 
offer what we want or what we need consistently. I struggle with maintaining mental health balance on a regular basis. So occasionally I do go through periods of depression or high anxiety. And when I'm in one of those points, my boyfriend realizes I don't have a lot to offer him. I'm spending all my resources trying to maintain functioning, trying to regain that healthy balance for myself. Then unless something huge is happening with him, I can't support him in the way he needs. And that happens a lot in relationships. We each are trying to have to balance our needs. When you're learning about your partner, you also want to learn how they naturally communicate because that helps you have a baseline so that you can start working towards compromise and start working towards getting on the same page with each other consistently. So I mentioned it at the top of the episode that I've had to relearn a lot of things about communication being with my current partner. I am a verbal person naturally, and I was taught that communication is words, words, and more words, and just getting the words right. Calvin operates very differently than I do. And when I am expressing my needs or I'm challenging him or it's a difficult conversation that we're having, I tend to go word heavy. But Calvin has a difficult time communicating verbally about difficult things, especially emotional things. And sometimes if you looked at him, you would think he's not even listening because he'll tend to look away and he'll withdraw into himself physically. And it almost seems like he's not listening at all. But over time... I've realized that he does listen. And how do I know that? Because his actions speak for him. He doesn't talk a whole lot during those situations. It's mostly me talking to him about what it is that's bothering me or what I need and clarifying that he understands. But beyond that, he doesn't really talk a whole lot. But what he does do is change his behaviors moving forward. And that's how I know he actually cares. That's how I know he's listening. And that's how I figured out his communication style. His communication style is action. And that takes us into our next point, which is developing a mutual language. So we would like to believe that we all speak the same language, but we don't. Everybody operates differently. And in that situation that I was just talking about between my partner and I, it took a long time for me to get used to the fact that he has a difficult time verbalizing his feelings. He has a very difficult time having those hard conversations. Because I'm naturally wired up for verbal communication, I really latched on to that. And while I've had to learn his communication style, Calvin has also had to get used to my communication style and figure out how to work well with me. And to his credit, he does very well considering that he probably gets some weird ass mixed signals from me. I have a difficult time handling and processing emotion and I tend to just cry anytime I feel any strong emotion. I could be happy, I could be angry, I could be sad, and I cry. But my tone of voice stays even keel. And I'm very careful with the words that I choose. And I'm usually pretty logical and pragmatic and practical. So for me to be showing a strong emotion, even if it's just tears, that's got to be hard for him to process. And we've had to learn to work with each other to get to a space where our communication works for us. I do tend to cry, but I also speak what it is that I need. I state those things clearly. I do choose my words carefully, and then I let it go, and I wait and see how he responds over the coming days. I've had to let go of the need for instant gratification in terms of resolution. I've had to get more patient and let things take their natural course to understand that he doesn't communicate the way that I do. And he's had to learn that I don't communicate the way that he does, but we found a system that works for us. 
we really don't speak the same language as much as we believe that we do. Sometimes this is a very literal language difference where we come from two very different first languages and we're having to translate into a second or a third language that's not natural to us. More often than not, though, it's a matter of cultural differences, of family history, of education. All of these things affect how we say what we're trying to say, when we say it, the tones we take, our nonverbal, as well as even the words we choose. I've spent a lifetime in mental health. I have a lot of knowledge about a lot of words that most people have never even heard of. And I've learned that in my relationships because I feel like I'm communicating extremely specifically and choosing my words wonderfully. But the reality is, is I'm using a lot of words the other person doesn't know. So all they're hearing from me is gibberish. And so we need to realize what our language is and how we're speaking it. And this goes also into the idea of love languages. We all have different love languages, words or service, gifts, time, touch. And if you haven't heard of love languages, definitely look at our resource page. We'll talk more about it on there. But that is a topic that has been visited very heavily by very many people. So we won't want to stress it too hard today. But it is something that impacts our communication style in how we perceive that we are loved and how we perceive that we are heard and validated in the love that we're giving. We have to work together to create a mutual language, just like Ivy and Kelvin have. That's what each of us need to do in a relationship is find a way to move towards the center of that teeter-totter so we can both be understood. Like Ivy, I am an extremely verbal communicator and I am definitely wired for it. And even when I have no idea what I'm saying, I can continue talking and sounding like an authority and pour forth words without issue. Once a thought is in my head, I almost instantly have the ability to communicate it. Because I am also egocentric, for a long time, I thought everybody also had that talent and they do not. In my current relationship, I have had to learn the power of silence. I thought for the longest time, my boyfriend just didn't have a lot to say, that he had nothing to come back with. The reality was I wasn't giving him enough time or space to say anything. I would say my piece. I would wait, pause, pause, pause. That was the appropriate amount of time for him to process my information, come up with his own thought, communicate his own. He had it. And so then I would continue talking. What was actually happening was I was just interrupting him and never letting him speak. Little things like that matter. Again, you learn about yourself. You learn about your partner. You learn about your communication styles. And then you learn how to create a mutual language so that you can begin communicating with one another. And most importantly, so you can begin communicating your needs to the other person in a way that's going to be explicitly understood. Part of developing this mutual language comes from that safety in the relationship. Real communication requires vulnerability. It requires opening up these dark, scary, fearful parts of you to another person. And it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to be vulnerable if you don't feel safe with them. Now, we could do an entire episode itself on what it means to be safe in a relationship or have a safe relationship, because that is a very, very heavy topic all by itself. But in the moment, essentially, it's about having mutual respect, validation, and acceptance of one another. It's believing that even when you expose the darkest, scariest, most frightening, disgusting parts of yourself to that person, they're still going to hold you with love and acceptance and want you to continue to be present in their life. 
before we move on from creating that safe space, we do want to toss out a few suggestions for just quick communication tools. And one of the first ones that I want to mention is ground rules. This is one that I have put a lot of emphasis on, even just internally. And Calvin and I haven't really had to have a conversation about ground rules during communication. He's pretty good at reading me and going with the flow and matching my energy. But there are certain rules that I always have in place when it comes to communication, especially if it is about a difficult thing or a challenge in the relationship or an obstacle that we're coming up against. One of those is that I will never, ever call him names. That is an absolute no-go. And I wouldn't put up with it if he called me names either, because Ultimately, no matter how difficult this conversation is, no matter how angry you might be feeling, no matter how high the tensions are running, it's always really important to go into every difficult conversation remembering that you love this other person and you want things to work. You are not trying to win this fight. You are trying to get on the same page with this person that you love. So I will never call him names. I would never be abusive to him in any way, shape, or form. I'm not going to do a whole lot of pointing the, the finger and throwing shade and all of those things. I'm not going to do that because I love this person and I don't want anything that I say or do to stick with him forever in a way that's detrimental. I don't want him to ever look back on any conversation that we've had and him feel like I was disrespectful to him or that I didn't care about him. So that's a huge ground rule is never be abusive. Don't do name calling. Even if you can avoid raising your voice too much. This is not a battle to win. This is about communicating with somebody that you love and trying to find a good middle ground where you can both be on the same page and you can both feel safe and loved and valued in the relationship. And on that point as well, I never let things end without me telling him that I love him. One of the things that Calvin tends to need after those difficult conversations is space. And he will often leave the apartment for a while so he can clear his head and deal with any emotions that he's having. It doesn't matter how mad I am at him. And I've gotten real angry at him several times, but it doesn't matter how mad I am at him. I never let that man walk out the door without telling him that I love him because I always want that to be the biggest takeaway is that yes, this is an obstacle and yes, we're having a fight or a disagreement, but it does not change the fact that I love him and I care about him and I value him. And I also do not fight with him in front of other people. This is between him and me. I don't need other people involved. They don't need to be involved anyway. This is about our relationship and it stays between us. And I don't drag other people into that fight and I don't make a big show and spectacle of our disagreements. So having a set of ground rules internally, and then if you need to, establishing those ground rules with your partner is very, very helpful for communication moving forward because you both know there are certain lines that do not get crossed. And that's one less thing you have to worry about. Another quick communication tool that I would bring up because I have found this to be very true in my current relationship is that sometimes you need to put time limits on those conversations, especially difficult ones where there's a lot of information to process. I know when Calvin and I are having a difficult conversation. The longer that conversation goes on, the more he shuts down, the more I feel him withdraw away from me. And I also notice that the longer that conversation goes on, the more I escalate 
and the more out of control I feel and the more I just start rambling and then I lose sense of what I was even talking about. And so I try now to stay brief and concise for the most part. Some conversations will have to go on for a while because it's a lot of back and forth or maybe you have to do it in spurts, you know, talk about a little bit here, a couple days later you talk about a little bit more there. But sometimes putting time limits on those conversations can be really helpful. For the most part with Calvin now, I try to keep it under 20 minutes at most. But putting those time limits on conversations has actually been very helpful in our relationship so that things don't get dragged on longer than they need to. They don't escalate out of control. And we have more of an opportunity to repair because we're not spending so much time focusing on everything that's going wrong. And it may seem odd that we're talking about these ideas of ground rules and creating this safe place because it almost sounds more like we're saying, well, how do you argue with your partner and how do you have a dispute with your partner? Aren't we talking today about how to communicate your needs to your partner? Many times communicating your needs also means asking that other person to change. And because we do all have our own issues, when somebody comes to us with what we perceive as a criticism of our current behavior or depending on our perception a demand that we change who we are, how we're acting, we tend to react defensively. And so many, many times when we start trying to communicate our needs, it can turn into a back and forth discussion or can escalate into an argument, which is part of why it is so difficult for many of us to communicate our needs because we've had this experience in the past. Many of us at one point have tried to communicate what we need to say. We've tried to be open and vulnerable and it's resulted in an argument. We weren't prepared for for that because we were already being open and vulnerable with the need and now we feel like we're being attacked and so we just withdraw and we give up. And that's where this idea of the safe place and these tools come in is it creates a place for us to be vulnerable safely even if the other person needs to come back with their own needs, even if they need to come back with their own corrections or their own requests so we can compromise in a healthy manner. And on that note, a couple that I would throw in is the idea of safe words gestures, spaces, or objects. So the big one I've heard out there is have a safe word, some funny word you can throw out in an argument so that we know we just stop right now and that everybody's too much. We got to come back to this later. And I do like that idea, but... Not all of us are continuing to be verbal, especially during escalated situations. So I add on to that and consider a safe space. If this person goes to this place in the house, you don't follow them. Or a safe object. If this person grabs this particular candle holder, the conversation's done right now. Or even a gesture. If I make this particular gesture, it means I've got to take a break. And for me, this has even gone to recognizing behavior pattern in my boyfriend because he does struggle verbalizing, especially under emotional pressure. And so so he's not always able to get outside of his head enough to communicate that he needs to stop. And so he and I have had to talk to find out at what behavioral pattern, because that's what I can actually see with my autistic nature is behavioral patterns. At what behavioral pattern that he's demonstrating, do I need to pull back because he needs space? So finding that safe way to stop, to know that we need to take a break and come back at it later, I think is a really great tool. Before we move on from this, I do want to throw out one more community 
communication tool. And this isn't necessarily a tool to create a safe place, but it is a communication tool that can be used to specifically communicate the need that you have. And what this is, is an action plan. And we have one of these on our products page on our website if you want to purchase it, or you can come up with your own. But essentially what it is, is you write down what your trigger is, your mental health trigger, your trauma trigger, whatever trigger it happens to be. And then you write down what response you typically have to that trigger. Do you withdraw? Do you cry? Do you have a tantrum? Whatever that response is. Then the next piece of that is what do you want your partner to do in that situation? Now realize though, this is the part you fill out and now you take this to your partner and this is where the compromise piece comes in because they may not be able or willing to provide exactly what you are wanting them to do. So now the conversation begins of what are they actually able to commit to when this need arises. And so this action plan is really nice because if you do have difficulty verbalizing your emotions or communicating under pressure, most of this conversation is already laid out by writing it down. And now what you're asking of your partner to communicate and what you're talking about is a very clear scenario. So like I said, you can find that on our products page or consider making an action plan type scenario or form of your own so you can not feel so much pressure trying to talk in the moment. All right. So now that we know a little bit more about what communication is generally, and we've been learning some things about ourselves and learning some things about our partner and all of our styles of communication, kind of how to come to some mutual understandings, and we have a sense of what it is to have a safe space in a relationship, let's now start talking about how to make communication a big part of our relationship. So we really want to start establishing healthy patterns of communication relationships from as early as possible. And one of the first things that I'll note here is that I am a huge fan of disclaimers. From the get-go, when I start dating somebody, I start tossing out disclaimers. It doesn't have to be a serious conversation. I tend to kind of joke around about things, but I start throwing out disclaimers because I want to see how they respond to things. I want to see how open they are to communicating. I want to see how they're going to play off of my energy and how they're going to react to these things about me that I consider to be important parts of my identity. So one of the things that I tend to do very early on is that since my social skills are not great because I am neurodivergent and also all of my childhood trauma and being fairly isolated as a child, I will make jokes. Just a heads up, I don't have great social skills. I act a little weird. I'm kind of like a feral child that was raised by wolves. And it's funny, but it gives them a heads up or I will make jokes about my bipolar disorder. I keep it casual. I keep it lighthearted. So it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be this big discussion that has to be had right away. But I want to let them know certain things about myself right from the beginning that could end up being bigger discussions later. But I'm trying to gauge how this person is interacting with me from the very beginning. Because if this is somebody who's going to shut down communication automatically, or it's going to make them super uncomfortable, or if they're not going to be able to play off of my energy, then maybe that's a sign not to get too heavily involved. But if this person starts engaging and they start wanting to know more things and you start having these more meaningful conversations over the next days, weeks, months, that's a good sign that this is somebody who also values communication as much as you do. 
I have actually not really dated in my entire life. I have a very bad habit of accidentally and very quickly falling into long-term relationships one after the other. So I typically don't even have time to start getting disclaimers out before it's a long-term relationship and I'm just living with this person. Don't ask me how that happens. I'm not going into details. But one of the things I do is pre-communication. So it's very similar to disclaimers, but it's a lot more serious because like I said, this is more when you're starting to be long-term and you realize, okay, this person person's probably sticking around. I don't wait for the issue arise. I don't wait until I'm so sensory overloaded. I'm having a tantrum and I'm on the floor sobbing and rocking back and forth. That's not a time that I'm going to be able to communicate anything. So during the good times, during the peaceful times, during the getting to know you and your quirks and your foibles times, I start pre-communicating. I talk about my diagnosis. I talk about my issues. I educate people about trauma so that they understand what's happening. This goes back to the beginning of what we were saying about knowing yourself. Knowing enough about yourself and your issues so that you can explain it to others so that when these escalations arise, when these crises arise, the person's not blindsided. They're like, oh, this is what they were talking about. This is what's going on. And if you know yourself well enough and you've been through this pattern enough and you're far enough along on your growth path, which I am not with all of my issues, so some stuff blindsides still even me. But if you know what you need in that situation, communicating it beforehand. So that way, when I am sitting on the floor sobbing, crying, my boyfriend knows, even if this is the very first time he's ever seen this, she's let me know previously what she needs from me right now is to hold her. And that's it, just to be quiet and hold her because I've already given that information. Another one of those things I pre-communicate is my trauma triggers. As we've talked about in previous episodes, from the outside perspective, when you have a reaction to a trigger, especially a trauma trigger, it looks like an overreaction because they don't see the decades of trauma that precipitated this reaction. And so I explain right away some of the trauma triggers I know are going to come up. I'll throw out one I've thrown out a hundred times, which is that plate in the sink. And I have worked on this one, luckily, in this relationship, so it's not an issue anymore. But I let them know right away is if I see this dirty dish sitting around the house, you're going to see me overreact. I am not reacting to you. I am not reacting to this dish. I am reacting to a decade of having to take care of a family when I was too young to understand how to do it. And so that goes into educating not just about what my specific trigger is, but again, what trauma even is, what my disorders are. And that also goes into those mental health triggers, pre-communicating about those, educating about where they come from, the sensory overloads, the breaks in routine. Why do I get so very anxious when suddenly you want to go out and it wasn't planned? It seems ridiculous to a lot of people. And so by providing that information to your partner, you help them understand what's going on with you so that they can work with you to create this healthy relationship. One more thing that I would like to add to that list of pre-communication things is relational triggers. So we mentioned it briefly earlier in the episode, but basically it's just the baggage that you have left over from past relationships. And the reason why you really want to be aware of these things is because as humans, we tend to get stuck in our heads when it comes to negative things that have happened to us before. We really hold on to those things and we can have a tendency to project past negative experiences into our current lives. And I'll use an example from my own relationship here. Alvin and I, early on in our relationship, when we had first moved in together, we kept butting heads over some of the same things over and over and over again. And it took me a while to realize what the pattern was. In my past, I have dated a lot of people that did not make me feel like a priority in any way, shape or form. And Calvin, 
his last serious relationship was with somebody who was very possessive and controlling. And what I started to notice was that we would end up butting heads because I was projecting onto him those feelings of neglect that I had with past partners. I was reading into his behaviors and reading into the things that he would say and thinking that it was the same situation I was in before. This man does not care about me. I am not a priority to him. He doesn't love me. And he was reading into things that I was saying and doing and thinking she's being possessive. She's being jealous. She's trying to control me. Neither of those things were actually happening. Neither of them were. Calvin absolutely made me a priority. And I was not trying to be controlling in any way, shape or form. But we were projecting our old relationship baggage onto each other because we had gotten so used to those patterns that we were just automatically assuming the worst of each other. And once we were aware of that and we started being able to view each other's behaviors from a different vantage point, total game changer for us in our relationship. We don't have the same types of disagreements that we had before, and we're no longer projecting those things onto each other. So moving on from that, one of the other things to remember with communication is that you don't want to just communicate about needs and deficits and the things that are going wrong. Yes, it's important to address those things, but you also really want to be paying attention to and acknowledging the good things and giving positive reinforcement and showing your appreciation and showing your partner that you love them. I try to really incorporate this into my relationship every single day. There is not a day that goes by that I don't let Calvin know at least one thing that I appreciate him. There's not a day that goes by that I don't tell that man that I love him. I always want as much as I can to focus on the positive things. I don't ignore the negative things. I let him know when I'm struggling with something. I let him know when my feelings are hurt or when I see an issue in our relationship or there's an obstacle that we're coming up against. I absolutely address those things now, but that's not all I do. I try to make sure that I am always letting him know that I appreciate that he made dinner or that he changed the oil on my car or that he cuddled with me last night or that he gave me a kiss before he left. Like I'm always trying to find something every day that I can do to let him know the things that I appreciate about him, the things that I love about him, the things that I see in him that are very positive. And part of the reason why I do that is one, I absolutely want to build him up because I think in a healthy relationship, that's what we do. We want to build up our partners. We want to support them and encourage them and make them feel good about themselves as much as we possibly can. But I also do this because as people, we do generally tend to take criticism hard and feelings of rejection hard. And so I try to make sure that I focus on the positives as much as I can in everyday life so that when I do have to bring up an issue, when he does feel like it's a criticism of something he's doing, when he does feel like there's a rejection happening, it's a little easier to manage because he never forgets that I love him because I let him know that every day. And he doesn't feel like he's a horrible garbage person because there's one issue that I'm bringing up because every day I point out all of these things that I really like about him. And so it softens the blow and it opens the door for better communication because I'm not just always pointing out flaws and faults and things that I have problems with and I'm not just nagging him constantly. I bring up issues when they're there. I pick my battles. But as much as I do that, I also try every single day 
to let him know that I see the good in him and that I love him. And that is such an important thing about communication that I don't think enough people put emphasis on because the human brain does tend to focus on the negatives. The more that we can focus on the positives, I think the better. It gives us a better overall perspective of our partner and it gives the opportunity for healthier communication in the relationship. And they never doubt that you love them and that you appreciate them even when there's challenges in the relationship that have to be addressed. Making communication a natural part of a relationship, those disclaimers right at the beginning, doing that pre-communication work, communicating about the positive as well as the needs and the deficits you have. All of this, what that's going to do is it's going to make communication easier. I think there's this idea out there that communication in a partnership always has to be a thing. When I need to communicate some need I have around my mental health, it needs to be this heartfelt, drenching, cathartic, four-hour conversation that leaves us just both emotionally wrung out. And that's not always true. When you do all this work and communication becomes just a natural part of the relationship and you have that safe relationship to do this in, sometimes it doesn't have to be a thing at all. You've done the pre-work. You're both open to hearing and receiving information as well as giving information. So it can be a short conversation or a look instead of a drawn out ordeal. And now this isn't going to happen immediately. It's not like day four of the relationship you're going to have this. It does take time and work. But for me right now, I've been in my relationship, I don't know, somewhere between seven and nine years. I don't do time. And what was a very long conversation in the beginning that was that two or three hour explanation doesn't need to happen again. Now, when I'm feeling very super anxious and I'm very oversensitive to everything and I'm in sensory overload, I can just give my boyfriend a specific look and he knows, okay, I should not touch her now. And he's also aware that I'm not rejecting him or his love, that I'm just in a spot where I need to be left alone. And all of that happens with a single look now because we've done all the work beforehand to do this. Now, we've talked about making communication part of the relationship. But one of the things we haven't talked about, well, what does good communication even look like? What are some good communication skills that are going to help us communicate those needs? Personally, the first one that I would throw out here for good communication skills is knowing good timing, having a sense of timing and context and environment. When I am having something that I need to communicate with Calvin, especially if it's something that's difficult and tends to be more private or I'm expecting it to take a little while, one of the first things that I do is I look at, okay, environmental context. Where are we at right now? Are we out in public? Are we someplace crowded? Will he even be able to hear me over the noise in the background if I try to talk to him about this? Am I going to get sensory overload from everything going on around me and get escalated so that I can't even communicate clearly what I need to? Because if that's the case, we ain't having this conversation right now if it can be at all avoided. I also look at what time of the month it is and where I'm at in my natural cycles. Because again, about a week before my period starts, I tend to get more emotional and I'm more emotionally volatile. So since I know I'm more prone to worrying about things that wouldn't be a big deal at other times during the month, I really think about that. If I feel triggered in that moment, I ask myself, okay, is this a battle worth picking at right now? Would I feel the same way about this if it happened a few weeks ago when I was feeling less emotionally up and down? I asked myself those things for a couple of reasons. One, I may not even need to address the issue with Calvin because in a couple of days, I may feel completely different about it. 
But also, if I'm in that space where I'm feeling really emotional, volat- emotionally volatile, and I'm all over the place, I'm probably not going to have that conversation with him right at that moment because I'm not going to be able to communicate effectively with him. Maybe I'll let him know, hey, heads up, I'm having an issue with something. We'll address it when I'm in a better space to do it. Maybe I'll do that, but I'm not going to do it if I know I'm not in a good space to communicate right then. I also think about where he's at that day as far as his mood goes. If he's already having a bad day and nothing is going right and everything is taking longer than it should and he's already irritable and high strung, I'm not going to bring up an issue in the relationship unless it is absolutely necessary and this is a hill I am prepared to die on right now. Because there's no point in pushing him when he's already close to the edge. So having good timing for communication, especially when it is a difficult conversation that needs to be had, that is a very important aspect of communication, is looking at your environment, looking at your natural cycles, their natural cycles, everybody's mood at that point in time, and figuring out, is this the right time to address it? And if it's not, maybe put it on the back burner until a little bit later when everything is in a better space to have that conversation. Another good communication skill is being clear, and I would also say concise. And that has been an extreme struggle for me. I can be very clear. I I have worked on that. I am verbally prone, so I can make things very clear and very specific, especially with the language I have learned in my studies, concise is a very different effort. The way my mind works, when a single drop of data or information drops into my brain, it triggers a spider web that reaches out into the universe. And that one little piece of data is connected to all of these other things. And unfortunately, for the longest time, that was how I tried to approach these communications when I was discussing trauma or discussing a need that I have or discussing an issue with my partner that I was hoping that they would change. I would try to bring up everything, how this one issue brushed up against the trauma, which was intersecting with the autism, which also affected the way in which I was talking with my sister, which therefore impacted how the cat was reacting to their dinner. And it got all over the place. In my mind, all of this information was relevant, but it really overloaded my partner because most people don't think the way I do. So one of the things I had to learn to do was be concise. What do I actually need to say here? What information do I need them to to know what is the result I'm hoping for by giving this piece of communication. Being concise is vital. And if you have difficulty being clear, if you find people don't understand you a lot and you don't come up with the words very well, consider thinking about what you're going to say beforehand. I talked about that action plan. This can be with any conversation you have. It doesn't necessarily have to be an action plan, but you can take time to write down what you're going to say. If you have that safe relationship and your partner loves you, they're going to learn to be okay with you communicating however you need to communicate because they are going to want to hear what you have to say. And if that means they have to give you a day or a week and they have to read something that you have pre-written, then that's what they'll make work because this communication is, again, it's about that compromise. So find a way to be clear with your partner and to provide just the information they need in that moment when you're dealing with a specific need or you're dealing with a specific issue so they don't get over overwhelmed. Part of being clear and providing the information that is needed is being intentional with both your verbal and nonverbal communication. That's part of why we stressed earlier in the episode, really being observant of your own behaviors and the words that you're using and your tone of voice, and also being observant of that in your partner as well. It gives you a lot of clues and it also helps you to grease the wheels of that communication so things can run a little bit more smoothly. 
And this does take practice and it also takes some internal preparation as well. You may need to rehearse what it is that you want to say. You may need to sort out your own thoughts and feelings before you have that conversation. Maybe if tensions are running really high and you are feeling really emotional or your partner is, maybe taking a step away for a little bit of just a bit of a break so you can gather yourself, gather your thoughts and come back to things. Maybe that's what you need to do. Be very intentional with how you express yourself, both verbally and non-verbally. Again, be self-aware, be aware of your partner, be observant, practice those things and give yourself time to get your thoughts together, to get yourself to a calm enough space where you can actually communicate clearly. And one of the other positive things about this is that when we are intimately connected to somebody, we have this natural tendency to want to loop with them. And this gives you an opportunity to create a positive feedback loop with them. Because if you're going in from a good space, you are very clear about what it is that you are wanting to say, what it is that you need. You're being intentional with your choice of words. You're being aware of your own body language and your tone and all of those things. That person will more than likely loop with you and match your energy. If you go in screaming and yelling and you're really closed off and you're all over the place with what you're trying to express and you're not communicating clearly, chances are you're going to get more of the same in return. But if you go in calmer with a good sense of what it is that you need and what you're trying to say, and you're expressing yourself in a way that is open to communication and open to your partner, a lot of times you'll get the same thing in return. On that specific note, I want to throw in a little autistic caveat to all of this. And I would say this is actually a good communication skill as well, which is meta communication. And that's communicating about communication. As Ivy said, we want to be intentional, not just with our words, but also our tone, our body language, our facial expression. And for those of you that are autistic, if you are anything like me, you don't always have control over those things like people expect you to. So I sometimes when I'm concentrating, get this really judgmental face. And what I'm doing is actively listening to the person. But what they see is me actively judging every word that comes out of their mouth when that's not actually what is happening at all. I'm just trying to hear them and I really need to focus and my face is doing shit I'm not aware of. And so that's where this meta communication as a communication skill comes in is you talk with your partner about this. It took me a while to realize this in my current relationship, why my boyfriend would start trying to have a conversation with me and then he would pull back and he would seem hurt. And all I was doing was listening and I wasn't understanding what was happening. And we finally discovered he thought I was judging him. Like I was just staring at him like a cat judging everything that came out of his mouth. And I'm like, oh, honey, that's not what's happening. I don't know what's going on with my face because I am so absorbed with trying to hear you right now. I don't have the resources to control this. And so sometimes that even means we don't look at each other when we talk about serious things because my face throws him so much for a loop with whatever it's doing. So one of those good communication skills out there, especially if you are autistic, you know what, even if you're not autistic, anybody talk about your communication so that you can build that mutual language with each other. And then to kind of get back on track here, relationships, conversations, they are a two-way street. You have the piece you want to say, you have the piece you want to communicate, you have the need you're trying to express, and hopefully a desired reaction you're trying to receive. You are not the center of the universe. As much as it pains me to say that because I so much want to be the center of my universe because it would allow me to be safe and control everything around me, we're not the center of the universe. And so we need to allow that other person to speak their peace to us and to be open and receptive to what they're saying. 
And as you're practicing these good communication skills, one of the last things I would mention here is that you always want to follow up after the fact and make sure that you're both on the same page. Because again, even though we'd love to believe we all speak the same language and we understand each other really clearly and easily, that generally is not the case. And sometimes you think you expressed one thing and your partner took away a whole different message from that. So always make sure that after you've had that conversation, everybody's on the same page and everybody understands. So one of the things that I do with Calvin, even though he's he's nonverbal, I try to at least make sure he's actually getting where I'm coming from. So after I've stated my piece, I ask him, okay, what's your recap on that? I just want to make sure that you actually understood what I was asking for. He struggles with that a little bit, but he does try to give me something so that I can be certain that he actually understood what I was trying to express instead of interpreting it in a completely different way. Because if they're not getting the message clearly, even if they try really hard to give you what it is that they think you want, they didn't hear you or they didn't understand you from the beginning. They may be putting in all of this effort and you're going to be looking at it and thinking, what the fuck are you doing? That's not what I asked for. Why are you not giving me what it is that I asked for? Do you not care? Are you not even trying? That's why it's so important to make sure that everybody is in a space of understanding. Always clarify. And if you feel like after a few days, you're not on the same page, maybe go back to the drawing board, have a short discussion with them again and say, hey, I just want to make sure that you actually understood what it was that I was looking for. There's nothing wrong with going back to the drawing board. There's nothing wrong with going back to that conversation. Always try to follow up clarify and make sure that everybody is on the same page, everybody's understanding what the issue is and what needs to be done, and that everybody's putting in their effort towards resolving the situation. While we talked about this a little bit in good communication skills, there's a point I want to I wanna harp on a little bit more and stress just a little bit more strongly. And that is the idea of working with your partner to find solutions. So yes, you are communicating your need and there is something from your partner you're hoping to receive to meet that need. But your partner is their own person with their own issues and their own resources and their own capabilities. And so a lot of times this is going to be a compromise between you and your partner. And so you need to be open to working with them to find a solution that's going to be healthy for you and them and the relationship. For me personally, the very first piece of this is identifying where does that burden of effort lay? Okay, because I do have mental health issues. I do struggle with emotional regulation. Because of my various cycles, I have misperceptions and perceive things differently or think about things in skewed ways. Or depending on the time of the month, I may be more paranoid and what I'm thinking isn't actually accurate or realistically based. And so one of the very, very first things I do is I consider, okay, where do the changes need to come from? Is this an internal thing or is this an external thing? An example of this, and one of the things that has taken me a really, really long time to realize is there is some weird culmination of hormonal cycle, autism overload, and dietary something quite possibly that leaves me feeling extremely disconnected and unsafe with everybody. And that includes my boyfriend. And this is very, very disconcerting to me because typically my boyfriend is my one safe place. And when I start feeling unsafe with him, I start worrying drastically about what's wrong in the relationship. But within the last year, I realized sometimes this comes up when there is absolutely nothing wrong in the relationship. This is simply an internal dysregulation. In this case, yes, I'm going to communicate with my partner what's going on with me and explain my behavior because I do become a lot more 
more rigid. I do withdraw. I do push away touch a lot more. So I don't want him confused about what's happening. But I'm also not going to expect any change from him because there's no need for him to change. This is just something I have to reseek balance with. And so that's one of the very first things I decide is, okay, is this an internal thing or an external thing? Because if this is me needing to make a change or if this is me needing to reseek balance, it's not fair of me to ask him to do something when there's honestly nothing he can do about this. Another piece of this that I do is identifying needs versus desires. I would love it if every single chore in this house was done on my schedule to my expectations, but that's a desire. What I need is to not be touched when I'm in sensory overload, because if you touch me when I'm in sensory overload, I am going to escalate past the point of no return and you're going to see me melt down. That's what's going to happen. And so I need to perceive the difference between that desire and that need so that again, when I'm asking my partner, okay, we need to come up with a solution for this issue I'm having, we can both honestly look at this and go, okay, what needs to happen here to make this relationship healthy, to make you feel healthy, to make me feel healthy? Because that difference between needs and desires is really going to affect what you're asking for. And again, in this conversation, I really want to stress none of this is about who is right or who is wrong or if I should change or if they should change. Conversations and communications in a relationship should seldom be about who is right or who is wrong. They should simply be about what is the healthiest option for you, what is the healthiest option for your partner, and what is the healthiest option for the relationship. Now, while you're working towards finding solutions with your partner, this may be one of those areas where you find that you come to an impasse and there's just a brick wall that you're both struggling to get through. And there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. And that first question is, what can your partner honestly offer you? Because like we mentioned earlier in the episode, communication does not automatically guarantee that you are going to get what you want. That may not be possible. Even if your partner loves the heck out of you and they want to give you the whole world and they would take a bullet for you, sometimes your partner literally cannot give you everything that you are needing or asking for because maybe they're not capable of it. Maybe they don't have the training for it. Maybe they are having their own issues and they're just not they're not in a space where they can give that to you. When that happens, there's a couple of things to consider. First, is what you're needing from your partner or what you're asking for from your partner, is that something that they can even give you? Or is there another viable source for the fulfillment of that need? As an example, Maybe you are in a space where you're processing a lot of trauma or you have a recent mental health diagnosis and you're really trying to work with this. You're trying to process things. You're navigating this new territory. And what you're trying to get from your partner is actually something that they are not trained to provide for you. They don't have the skill set for it. Maybe what it is that you actually need is something that only a mental health practitioner can provide for you because they know what they're doing. They know how to help you navigate that uncharted, difficult territory. And your partner, even though they want to help, they may be ill-equipped for that. Or even something simpler, if you have a lot of social needs, maybe your partner can't fulfill all of those. Calvin is a very social person. He needs a lot more social interaction than I do. I cannot provide for all of his social needs. 
I'm glad he has outside friends because I can't give him everything that it is that he needs there. I want him to have that, but I'm not capable of providing that because I'm a very introverted person and I need a lot of time to myself and a lot of quiet space in my head. This doesn't make him wrong or me wrong or anything like that. It just means that while I can provide for him some of his social needs, I can't fulfill all of those and that's okay. He can find other sources for some of his needs. You don't need to be the sole provider for every single need your partner has and vice versa. That's not really a reasonable expectation to begin with. Now, unfortunately, sometimes what you need is something that can only come from a partner and your partner, no matter how much you guys love each other, they may not be able to provide that for you. And this is a painful truth that sometimes we have to acknowledge and accept. And it may mean just having to go your separate ways. A lot of people, when they think of deal breakers, they're thinking very black and white. It's very clear cut. You know, you don't cheat on me. You don't hit me. Like things along those lines, hard and fast rules that are deal breakers for you. Not all deal breakers are so clear. You may not even realize that something is a deal breaker for you or is a real issue for you until a long-term pattern has developed in the relationship that you have. And no matter what changes both people have tried to make, no matter how much effort has put, been put in, no matter how much communication there is, things don't really change in ways that are meaningful enough to be what you need or to be what your partner needs. As unfortunate as it is, sometimes, no matter how much you love each other, you may have to go your separate ways. And that is very sad. And I'm not trying to catastrophize or anything like that. That's often not the case. Most things I think can be worked through with love and effort and communication. But sometimes what you need, your partner honestly cannot provide for you. If it is such a big deal for you that you can't let it go, especially if it's been going on for years and you just can't let this go and this is a need you absolutely have to have filled and it can only be filled within the context of a partnership, you may have to have a discussion about going your separate ways. Again, not catastrophizing. Those instances, I think, are more rare, but they do come up. And it's not necessarily a failure on anybody's part. You just have to remember that in any relationship, you have two individual people with their own needs, their own wiring, their own values, their own backgrounds. And sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you're just not going to be able to match up in the ways that are necessary for the relationship to continue and be healthy. As Ivy said, though, that instance is likely going to be not the most common one. More often than not, what's going to happen is you and your partner will come to a solution, but the communication doesn't end there. So even if the solution is great and the solution works for everybody, you still need to validate each other's efforts. Because a lot of times compromise means you changed a little, your partner changed a little. And sometimes that change isn't always super easy. And so you want to find a way to be able to validate each other's efforts 
in making those changes, I believe a big piece of that goes back to those love languages that we touched on lightly earlier, is finding that way to communicate effectively your love to the other person and your appreciation for the changes that they're making. And that ties back into the metacommunication as well, knowing how your partner speaks so that sometimes you can learn to speak their language specifically so that they feel truly validated and appreciated and making those changes that were needed to meet your need. Before we wrap up today, I do want to throw in one last caveat, and that is to be cautious about who is brought into the discussion. Now, when you are having these discussions about your needs with your partner, when you're having these intimate, vulnerable, open conversations with your lover, sometimes you may need to seek out somebody else. You may both need to go your separate ways and talk to a friend or a family member, uh, bounce some ideas off, and then come back so that you can meet in the middle. Sometimes, depending on the nature of the, the community, communication or the relationship, you may even need a mediator present, such as a therapist that can help you truly create that mutual language with one another. That is so okay. But be very careful about who you're choosing to do that. A sounding board is great. A professional mediator that can truly help you communicate is great. But sometimes we think somebody is going to be super helpful for this and they end up making the situation worse. They're a pot stirrer. They fan the fire. Or maybe they're an unwanted mediator. You go to them and you explain your issue and instead of addressing it with you and providing you solutions, they go behind your back and talk to your partner and they create this entire shit fest you now have to deal with. Sometimes also you think, oh, I'll go to this person's family member and they'll help me resolve how to deal with this. But if they have issues with their family member, they don't talk to the family member or it's a strained relationship, that can be a very, very bad idea. Okay. And even sometimes when you think that person is going to really help you, they can end up causing issues. I am a great example of this. I am obviously educated in mental health. I have a very balanced perspective. I can look at things both objectively and subjectively and provide balanced opinions. Yes. But when it comes to people that I truly deeply love, such as my sister, I am loyal to an excessive fault. And so I have had to try very, 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 very hard in my conversations with Ivy to not blow things out of proportion. Because when Ivy comes to me and says, my boyfriend has done this, or I feel hurt because my partner has done that, my instinctual response is, well, then I will rip his throat out for having hurt my Ivy because nobody gets to hurt my Ivy ever. So that's my instinctual response. You should leave him. Come live with me. I will take care of you forever and protect you from all harm. That's not a helpful solution that Ivy needs in a conversation she's trying to have with her partner. And so sometimes even those people you think that are going to be objective, are going to be balanced, they love you so much, they're not able to be objective. So just consider that when you are having these conversations, be careful about who you bring in to that conversation. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up for today. We talked a couple times about our products page and our resources page where you can find a little bit more information. Ivy, if you can throw them all our connecty bits so they know where to get said information, that would be lovely. Yeah, you can find us at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. You can find us on Facebook as Different Functional. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok as different underscore functional. Uh, you could email us at differentfunctional at gmail.com. And we also have a Patreon. So if you wanted to become patrons, you could find us there. And we're going to be making some, some changes to our Patreon. That's part of our housekeeping for the day that I'm going to let Autumn fill you in on real quick before we close out. 
So previously, our Patreon was set up with three different levels and three different price points, and each level gave you access to different bonus content. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to simplify everything. There's going to be one level at a mid-range price, and that one level gets you access to all that bonus content. So if you are interested in what that bonus content is, do check out our Patreon page, all right? Because there is some, there's some pretty good stuff. And as we build more of a following and we're able to devote more time to this, we will expand that Patreon even more, and there will be even more amazing bonus content for your lovely patronage. And as always, guys, if you could could do us a solid reach out to us comment contact us you know rate review subscribe to the podcast tell all your friends about us tell your frenemies about us tell your weird relatives about us whatever it is we're we're down for it we would love to hear from you guys we really appreciate those of you that keep coming back and we would love to keep growing this community and remember as always different does not mean defective <laughs>